The Daily Rios, episode 441, Timeline Tuesday for November 2018. Hey everyone, this is your host Peter, with a slight sore throat today, so my apologies for any weirdness that may uh, come up in this episode because of it. This is a Timeline Tuesday episode, taking a look at comics history, first appearances, creator info, first issues, last issues, and of course, anniversaries for standout titles or characters, series, events, etc. that were all released in the month of November, and anything that was celebrating 10 years or 25 years, 50 years, and we even have one 75-year anniversary for this episode. Now remember, these are release dates, not cover dates, as best as my research allows. And before we begin, I wanted to just give uh, a little shout out to Chris Beckett, who always comments on the website for these episodes, and he left some feedback for last month's Timeline Tuesday, and he wrote, As to your question regarding the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials, no, they did not have anything to do with the long Halloween, story-wise. But as you said, their work together, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, on these three specials did lead to them working together on those longer Batman stories. I would strongly encourage you to read these Halloween specials. They are some of my favorite Batman stories, and particularly nice if you're looking for a light, quick read. Sales artwork perfectly complements the stories Loeb is telling. So thank you, Chris, for that confirmation. And as always, if you want to leave a comment, you can leave a comment on the website, thedailyrios.com, or you can send along an email, peter at thedailyrios.com. So let's begin for this month of November. Ten years ago, 2008, put your minds back to 2008, we had Secret Invasion number 8 wrapping up what I thought was one of Marvel, Marvel's better uh, events, even though I wasn't necessarily too thrilled with the ending. This was the issue where we had no more Wasp. Uh, Janet Van Dyne was taken off the Marvel map for a little bit. Bobby Morse, Mockingbird, finally returns. Norman Osborn is the one who saves the day against the Scrolls, And this would kick off a whole concept within the Marvel uh, line where we would lead into Dark Reign and the Cabal and Norman Osborn, I think, leading a team of secret Avengers who were actually villains in disguise or, or even the Thunderbolts in disguise, I think. Uh, I didn't read a lot of the Dark Reign stuff, but Secret Invasion itself was uh, definitely a, a worthwhile event. Brian Michael Bendis, Lionel Francis Yu, um, the ending again. So what, what we liked about it at the time, what I can remember talking about it on CGS and on forums, is that it was an, an in-house way for Marvel to reset some of the things uh, that maybe they weren't happy about with certain continuity. So, and especially because you could do it in a very Marvel way by using the scrolls. If you wanted a character back because they were dead, such as Mockingbird, you just said that the one that died was a scroll. Boom, you could bring Mockingbird back. That's how they brought Jessica Drew, Brat, Drew back and a couple other characters. Um, I feel, I thought it could have been a nice restart, a nice reset 
that wasn't necessarily a reboot, but it was a very Marvel concept. So Secret Invasion ended 10 years ago this month. Also from Marvel, the first issue of the miniseries Adam, Legend of the Blue Marvel. And this was created by Kevin Grooveau and penciler Matt Broom. This was a character that felt like almost like the century where it was inserted into Marvel history and then we learned about it way after the fact. So think about the century or triumph over at DC, Jessica Jones, uh, currently Voyager even had that little bit of angle to it, to that character from, uh, from Marvel Comics. And the Blue Marvel, the comic and the character, asked the question, what if Superman were black in the early 1960s, and how would the world react to him? And then since then, he's gone on to join the Mighty Avengers and the Ultimates. I've never read the original miniseries. It's something I've always wanted to read. Um, Those kind of characters actually interest me. I find them a little bit fascinating. So there you go, 10 years of the Blue Marvel. Speaking of the Ultimates, and to stay with Marvel... We had the first issue of Ultimatum, and I can remember that just just sending ripples through fandom of, of that story and that event through the, the, through the uh, Ultimates universe, killing off a bunch of characters. I can remember people not being very happy about it. Jeff Loeb, David Finch, it dealt with Magneto and Doctor Doom. I think it's the miniseries that gave us an evil Reed Richards from the Ultimate universe, I think. I'm not sure. But in any event, it was a controversial uh, event, to say the least. So that was 10 years ago. Also 10 years ago, Batman 683 was the final official Grant Morrison issue leading into the ending of Final Crisis. He would return for issue 700 and Batman and Robin and Batman and Inc., of course. Uh, But this was his last issue of his run. And eventually it would be followed by the Batman Reborn branding, with Judd Winnick and Mark Bagley, and then later Tony Daniel. Surprisingly, I have not read all of the Grant Morrison Batman run. I started it and got maybe about halfway through. I have a lot of stuff I need to read from that time period, so uh, maybe someday, maybe someday. Also 10 years ago, we had Sandman, The Dream Hunters, one of four. We had a push prequel comic to the movie, And Top 10 Season 2 began last month. So for this month, it was dropping Issue 2. And I must have missed it for uh, last month's Timeline Tuesday. Okay, let's switch to 25 years ago, November 1993. I believe they're even coming out with a 25th anniversary for this series. 25 years ago, Marvel's Number 1 by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. I think that's the first time I read an Alex Ross comic. It may also be the first time I read a Kurt Busiek comic um, because I didn't read the Red Tornado miniseries that he did for DC in the 80s until much later. But this one I picked up off the shelf. I remember that acetate cover, that, that cover that you peeled back the transparent part and you could see the Alex Ross art on the second cardstock cover. Uh, What a series. What a fascinating journey into the Marvel Universe. I think it holds up incredibly well, and I'm going to go on record as saying it holds up even better than Kingdom Come does. 
Um, if you don't know what Marvels is, it was set in Mar in the Marvel Universe between 1939 and 1974, and it examines the Marvel Universe through a street-level character, an everyman character known as Phil Sheldon, who's a news photographer. And it's through his eyes and through his eye, which if you read the story, you know what I mean, uh, we get to see the Marvel Universe from a ground level, from even more of a ground level than it already is. And Busiek and Ross do a great um, uh, service to the Marvel Universe by laying it out almost in chronological order um, from the birth of the Fantastic Four. Uh, well, no, from uh, from the Human Torch, the original Android Human Torch, Torch and Namor up through certain points uh, within the Marvel Universe. So if you've never read it, you really have to. And then there was a kind of sequel, if anyone remembers uh, Ruins by Warren Ellis in 1995. That was part of Marvel's Alterniverse line, which was kind of like an answer to DC's Elseworlds. And then an actual sequel was developed in 2008 called Marvel's Eye of the Camera, and that was by Busick with Roger Stern, but this one had art by Jay and Anacleto, uh, not Alex Ross. So um, that one I think I read, but I don't remember if I read Eye of the Camera. So 25 years, Marvel's uh, celebrating that anniversary. Over at DC, here's another biggie, Green Lantern 48, the first chapter of Emerald Twilight, and also the first appearance of Kyle Rayner. If ever there was a committee comic, this one is it because it was created in-house within DC's upper, you know, administration, and then was given to Ron Mars to write. Bill Willingham was the penciler, and it all took place after the reign of the Superman, um, where Coast City was destroyed, and Hal Jordan was, you know, losing his mind. And it goes from there <laughs> for three issues. So we're gearing up for the big Green Lantern 50 in just a few months. And then we have Aquaman, Time and Tide number one. This was the beginning of the Peter David Aquaman run. It was only four issues. And uh, we had already read his Atlantis Chronicles prior to this, which laid out the origin story for not only Aquaman, but Atlantis. And then came Time and Tide. And then five months later would start his actual Aquaman run, which would run for about Oh, somewhere up to 50 issues, I think. I've never read Time and Tide, but I did read Peter David's Aquaman run, and I loved it, especially the first 25 issues. So I probably should read Time and Tide. I think there was a trade paperback that was just released maybe in the last year or so. So Peter David starting his Aquaman stuff, and that's kind of relevant considering there's an Aquaman movie coming out. Also 25 years ago, November 1993, Uncanny X-Men 308, Scott Lobdell, John Romita Jr. in his very chunky art phase. <laughs> That's what I call it anyway. This was the Thanksgiving issue where Jean Grey proposes to Scott Summers. It was a look through their life. It's everything that I love about the quiet X-Men issues where they play football and they're all together um, eating Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I, I really liked this period of the X-Men books. This is post-Blood Ties. This is post-Fatal Attractions where Wolverine gets his adamantium ripped out. 
And uh, it was a time of the X-Men that I, you know, I just was really digging. So that happened 25 years ago. Also from Malibu, breakthrough number one with art by Perez and a whole slew of writers. George Perez also provided, I, I think, the script based on whatever it is those writers came up with. So it was a way for the all the Malibu characters to come together. And if you're going to do a, an event like that, who else do you get but George Perez on art? It only lasted two issues, but I think it crossed over into so many Malibu titles, but I didn't really get those. I only got the breakthrough titles. All right, what else do we have 25 years ago? Real quick, we had the last issue of Avengers West Coast, issue number 102. Iron Man was celebrating his 300th issue. We had Ninjak number one. He finally gets his own title after a few appearance, a few appearances throughout Valiant. And the art was by Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, Malibu, we got another series called Solitaire, which ran 12 issues. Over at Image, Cyberforce graduates to their own series for 35 issues. And Nova over at Marvel uh, gets a second series, and this one would only last 18 issues. Okay, let's jump 50 years ago, 1968, in the month of November. Silver Surfer number four. And if you read about this, especially from Jack Kirby Collector number 18, artist John Buscema, uh, who was the artist on this uh, issue, noted that this was the issue where he intentionally broke from the traditional Marvel Jack Kirby style. So if you compare this issue to the previous issue, you can see some differences. And uh, clearly, you know, we got to take his word for it that this is the issue where John Buscema becomes John Buscema, I guess, or at least starts to find his his Marvel house style. That was also very popular. And then that article also said that Stanley didn't quite appreciate the work at the time, but then later noted that Stanley uh, thought that this was the best issue that he and John had put out. So that sounds like... Uh, Stanley, right? Rest in peace, Stanley. All right, Doctor Strange 177 is where he inherits that blue costume where he's wearing a full mask. It's a look that I really like. Uh, I would love to see that on the movies, but who knows? And that had artwork by Gene Colan. Strange Adventures 216 over at DC Comics. I believe it's the first appearance of Nanda Parbat, the actual land. Some places have it as Strange Adventures 205, but I think that's more either a mention or just kind of like off-panel. Um, but this one feels like the first time that Dead Man actually went to Nanda Parbat, and he meets the Guardian Taj Z and a character named Lotus. In the previous issue, we got to meet Sensei for the first time, so this is opening up a whole new corner within the DC Universe. Wonder Woman 180 is the death, quote-unquote, of Steve Trevor. This is also notable because it's the third issue in Wonder Woman's new look period, where she gave up the costume, more or less, and is wearing a lot of fashion. And when you look at the artwork by Mike Sikowski, you can kind of see that it feels like it's almost like a, a Millie the Model type book. But we're thir three issues into Wonder Woman in her new phase and then Batman 208 has the first appearance of Mrs. Chilton, who is the mother of the man who killed the Waynes, the mother of Joe Chill. 
I don't know if we figured that out right in that first issue, probably. Um, and she didn't have many appearances after this, but there we go. 50 years ago in November of 1968, we had the first appearance of Joe Chill's mother. And then finally, 75 years ago, November 1943, probably maybe the first official appearance of The Batcave in Detective Comics 83, at least in comics. From what I can gather, there was an illustration of The Batcave in the Batman dailies, the newspaper dailies, in October of 1943. Also in 1943, maybe prior to this, in one of the Batman movie serials, he was given an underground crime lab, and it was introduced in a chapter called The Bat's Cave. The entrance was via uh, a secret passage through a grandfather clock, which is something that uh, is often done in comics. And then, as I said, we would get The Bat Cave in the newspaper dailies, and then eventually would move over into comics, Detective Comics number 83. So 75 years of the Batcave. And boy, how many times, how many versions have we seen? And uh, I'd be curious to, to know which one was your favorite. I think I remember the Silver Age double page spread. Um, I'm not going to, was it by Dick Sprang? I think that it was very, a, a very busy map of the Batcave, but I love that one. And of course, there are many, many, many more. I know there are some websites devoted to the Batmobile, but I would love to maybe find one uh, devoted to the Batcave. So there you go. November's Timeline Tuesday, and a special Timeline Tuesday because this one is being dropped on Tuesday, November 20th, 2018, which just so happens to be my birthday. So I'm also celebrating an anniversary, you know. I'm celebrating the, you know, many anniversaries of my 30th. How about that? <laughs> All right, as I said, you can reach me, Peter, at thedailyrios.com or leave a comment on the website or go subscribe through iTunes or Android or Stitcher or wherever else. And uh, by all means, let me know what you think. Let me know if I missed anything. If I don't talk to you before then, have a great uh, Thanksgiving and Turkey Day. And if you're outside of the country, have a great week anyway. So this has been the Daily Rios episode 441. Talk to you soon. Bye.